Welcome to this week's Jewish Diaspora Report. Unlike our traditional introduction, uh, we start today's in a much more somber tone. Currently, as we record this, there is a tragedy happening in the United States, in the state of Texas, where a number of Jewish people are being held hostage inside of a Texas synagogue. And what is much more unfortunate is the fact that this episode was set to be about anti-Semitism and who will protect the Jews. And this to happen literally as we speak has given this podcast only more relevance to our current day. We send strength and our prayers to the people involved and their family members, and we hope that everything turns out okay for those involved. With that said, we are going to start this episode of the Jewish Diaspora Report. Let's get started. So this week, a friend of mine reached out to me to talk to me about uh, this issue she was facing on anti-Semitism on social media, mostly around the pandemic. Uh, Some of these online quote-unquote friends or people that uh, she follows online post things about false comparisons to the Holocaust, things of that nature, and it made her very uncomfortable. Uh, This friend happens to not be Jewish, but she is married to a Jewish man and is raising a Jewish daughter. Her daughter's paternal grandmother is actually even a Holocaust survivor, so it was exceptionally difficult for her to be reading some of these anti-Semitic tropes in regards to the Holocaust. One thing I've admired about my friend is that she's gone out of her way to try and raise her daughter knowing about her culture, her history, the Jewish ancestry that uh, has come before her. That obviously takes a lot of skill, guts, education, research for someone who didn't grow up Jewish to try and help educate her daughter on Jewish issues and Jewish culture. When she reached out to my wife and I about her concerns, I could tell that she was obviously struggling with some of these issues with anti-Semitism. This was clearly something that she's actually never dealt with before, being someone who isn't Jewish and didn't grow up Jewish. And it made me realize that most of us Jews sort of spend our lives understanding what anti-Semitism is, what it looks like, how to deal with it, when to sort of shrug it off, when to speak up, when it's safe to do so. However, for a non-Jewish person who has only recently begun to face this and is sort of ill-equipped for this type of issue, it uh, really struck me as a culture shock to try and explain to someone who's never dealt with anti-Semitism before how best to deal with these anti-Semitic issues. I've spoken at length on this podcast about anti-Semitism, how it hides behind social media, and it is an interesting thing of when do you speak up, when do you not speak up, and frankly, who should be speaking up. There are a lot of people online who are really proactive in trying to put down the anti-Semitism, trying to speak up for Jews, trying to protect Jews. But for the average user online, how do you speak up against such a difficult task, especially from quote-unquote friends. My advice to this friend, of course, is something that I guess most of us Jews have to assess over our lifetime is, when is it safe to speak up? When is it worth speaking up? And when is it sort of just a lost cause? And it's an interesting idea that, you know, you have to assess each case individually. Is this person that you're speaking to really someone who is open for discussion and education? Is this person completely biased in their views and will never accept anyone else's view? Uh, And then you decide if it's worth spending your time to educate that person on the way that they come off as hurtful or bigoted. 
Sometimes, unfortunately, you just have to delete that person and know that you'll never save them from themselves and you'll never be able to educate them. And you need to move on with your life and uh, cut out the negativity and the hate. I can feel the loneliness in my friend's voice through text that someone would feel when they don't have a lot of a Jewish support system around them and they've sort of not built up that shell of safety around themselves from the experiences over their lifetime. And it really made me wonder how I would feel if I just for the first time ever experienced the kind of hatred that Jews have been experiencing for years. What is such a difficult and added challenge for my friend, of course, is that she is raising a Jewish daughter. And so even though she directly is not necessarily affected by anti-Semitism or uh, anti-Jewish hatred or even threats of violence to synagogues or places of worship, her daughter being Jewish will for a long time possibly deal with issues like this. And so how are you as a parent going to raise a Jewish child when you yourself don't fully understand anti-Semitism in the way that many Jewish parents do? This has sort of been an age-old question for Jewish people of who's going to protect us? How are we going to stand up for ourselves? Do we stand up for ourselves? And after the break, we're going to discuss a little bit more about who is protecting us, what kind of resources there are available to people who are experiencing anti-Semitism. We'll be right back after this break on the Jewish Diaspora Report. In the last segment, we discussed the question of who is going to stand up for the Jewish people on a larger scale. And to start the conversation, we're going to talk first about the JDL or the Jewish Defense League. It was established in 1968 in New York, United States of America, and its declared purpose is protecting the Jews by whatever means necessary. The man who began it, Rabbi Kahani, who is to some a controversial figure, His opinion of the Jews in America were that the Jews were living in a fiercely hostile society, facing much of the same dangers as the Jews in Nazi Germany, or those in Israel surrounded by the hundred million Arab enemies at the time. In fact, Kahani consistently preached the radical form of Jewish nationalism, which reflected racism, violence, and political extremism. At one point, the JDL was considered a terrorist organization due to their actions against Soviet Russia within the United States, in regards to the treatment of Jews and the pogroms in communist Russia. Their tactics took the form sometimes of terrorizing these people with smoke bombs or with intimidation. Today, however, they are usually very visible in their outfits or their their demeanor, showing that the Jewish people are not going to be harassed or attacked. In addition to the JDL, there's also, of course, the modern-day ADL, which is the Anti-Defamation League. And this began in the early 1900s as a way of trying to fight stereotypes and negative depictions of Jewish people in media in order to call out the anti-Semitism that is found within society. The ADL attempts to stand up in the media and in the world to call out anti-Semitism and anti-Jewish hate and speak for the Jewish community as a whole for what our needs are with the government officials and with police in order to have the government and police stand up and protect us from all of the issues that we face in our communities. In addition to standing up and trying to protect Jewish people all over the world, they of course stand up for the state of Israel, the Jewish state, for its right to exist, trying to fight anti-Semitism that happens against Israel and calling out the 
double standards and hatred that people have. Unfortunately, this in itself has made the ADL a target for anti-Semitic people claiming that the ADL in their petitioning of governments and, and having relationship with governments is in itself, quote unquote, controlling the government. This, of course, lends itself to many of the anti-Semitic tropes that, ironically, the ADL is trying to fight. We see, though, that the ADL, of course, is a much more mainstream, less violent, less in-your-face way of standing up in the media and in the world to try and protect Jews or have the local governments protect Jews, unlike the JDL, which tends to stand up in person with their people in order to protect lives and give a sense of comfort to those who are around facing anti-Semitism. Obviously, this is an ongoing debate within the Jewish community as to what is the best way to have people stand up and speak out against anti-Semitism and violence against Jewish people. The sad reality out of both organizations, of course, is that it feels like and it seems like the best way to protect Jewish people is by Jewish people and our services and our organizations all require security of some kind to ensure our protection, which is something that many other cultures and organizations do not have to deal with. The question is, should Jewish people be able to defend themselves physically? Should they be able to protect themselves physically? Or should we rely on local communities and local governments to do it for us, advocating for our needs and our rights? how long can we rely on local communities in order to protect us? And in our next segment, we're going to talk a little bit about events in history to decide when or where we should rely on ourselves or the government to help protect us. We'll be right back with the Jewish Diaspora Report right after this. In our last segment, we talked a little bit about the best way that Jews should protect themselves from any type of anti-Semitism or anti-Jewish hate. As a wise man once said, those who cannot learn from history are doomed to repeat it. So I think it's best for us to look at some of the historical events and maybe see if we can get some lessons or answers from it. One example, of course, that has really stuck with the Jewish people as ancestral trauma is the issue of the Holocaust. We saw many times the assimilated Jewish people who really lived as one with the countries that they came from very quickly were no longer considered to be citizens and were no longer protected by the government. As Jews were being shipped out of Poland and especially the Warsaw Ghetto, the people who were inside the ghetto, the hundreds of freedom fighters, really did try to stand up against their oppressors and against the anti-Semitism that was coming their way. 700 or more people fought against these Nazis as a way of fighting back and refusing to be sent to death camps like Treblinka. This event, of course, makes us question, no matter how assimilated, no matter how comfortable we are, are we really protected forever? The German Jews and the Polish Jews always thought that they were safe in their homeland. In fact, many of these countries were seen as the golden era of Jewish wisdom and learning and education soon after ended up being our horror. Eventually, the Jewish people of the Warsaw Ghetto took it upon themselves to try and fight back and protect their loved ones as best they could. A number of people did survive the Warsaw Ghetto uprising. This is an example of the Jewish people standing up for themselves, whereas later on, very close by in Munich, Germany in 1972, 
the Israeli Olympic team, unfortunately, was taken hostage by a number of Palestinian terrorists known as Black September. The Israeli government attempted to ask the state of Germany to allow them to come help with the rescue of the hostages. Unfortunately, after a number of back and forth issues, the German government attempted to rescue these hostages by themselves, leading to the eventual death of all 12 athletes. Of course, this is not a suggestion that the Germans did not try and save these Jewish lives, but of course, we wonder if the Israeli army was allowed to get involved, how things may have turned out differently. We have seen Jewish IDF soldiers travel all over the world to protect Jewish lives at all costs. No action is more well-known than the Antebi raid or Operation Thunderbolt in 1976 when a Israeli flight had been hijacked by Palestinian terrorists and German terrorists. Many of the passengers were let go if they were not Jewish, and the Jewish passengers were expected to stay. One act of absolute heroism would be the flight crew who were not Jewish and were not sought after by the terrorists ended up choosing to stay and put themselves in harm's way in order to stay with the passengers. After much back and forth within Israel and around the world, the Israeli government flew a secret mission against all odds in order to save the hostages and they ended up bringing home almost every hostage except for one who had been taken to a hospital earlier. The amazing feat led to only one Israeli casualty, Yonatan Netanyahu, who was the commander for the mission. He was the only man to lose his life. This was proof that the Israeli Defense Force will go all over the world to protect Jewish people in harm's way. This no doubt provides Jewish people all over the world with a little bit of comfort to know that they do have support and they do have protection from the Israeli army, from the Israeli government, from and Jews all over the world. On that same note, we saw the Prime Minister of Israel, Naftali Bennett, put out a tweet as the Texas hostage situation was happening, informing the Jewish people around the world that he is watching that situation only goes to show how Israel is the only country to really watch out for the Jews all over the world. I am very thankful to report that all of the hostages from the situation from the beginning of this podcast have been released and are safe. In the end, no matter if it's on social media, in real media, or in life, with your friends, people around you, Make sure that you are strong, you are proud, and you know that you have the support of all the Jews around the world. Don't be afraid to contact local police or social media companies if you're seeing something that is concerning to you. Please make sure you speak up because your silence is going to allow it to continue online and in person. There are many local organizations that will help you with any kind of issues you're facing and reporting the crimes to the police, to the government, to politicians, and we need to make sure that we never have to deal with these questions ever again. This has been another episode of the Jewish Diaspora Report. Thank you so much for listening and supporting the program. Don't forget to check us out on social media at jdr.podcast. I'll see you next time.